The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. All right, well, we are going to do, uh, we're going to continue our study in biblical manhood for this year. And what we're going to do is we are going to uh, start off this month and next month. We're going to look at the Christian man and his friends. And then after that, uh, it is the Christian man's walk with God. And then, Daniel, do you remember what's after, what's after that? Something manly. Something manly? All right. Okay. All right. So um, go ahead and take your Bibles. We're going to look at a few passages from 1 Samuel. The first is going to be 1 Samuel chapter 18. This, of course, is going to be about uh, Jonathan and David, starting at uh, verse 1. It says, Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and bow and his belt. And just one, we're not going to dive into this part, but the significance of Jonathan giving his robe. So Jonathan's robe would have been a, uh, a royal robe. It would have been a sign of his uh, status as the son of the king. And the fact that he gives his robe and his armor to David is um, very significant. Then over chapter 19, in verse 1. I already read that part. Nineteen one. Now Saul told Jonathan his son and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. And then over one more chapter, 20, chapter 20 and verse 17. Verses 16 and 17, sorry. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. Well, let's pray and ask the Lord's help. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that we have in your word. And we pray that you'd help us now to think clearly and to think biblically about friendship. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start, uh, you can see in your notes, we're going to start with uh, the challenge of friendship. So Kevin DeYoung, in an article, he rightly notes, he says, friendship is the most, is the most important but least talked about relationship in the church. And so one of the things that makes friendship hard is that when sin entered into the world, it not only separated us from God, but it also created, in a sense, a culture of alienation uh, from one another. And that didn't just extend between Adam and Eve or husband and wife, but it extends to, in a sense, all of us at, at uh, all of the horizontal relationships that we have. So you could say that sin actually fractures relationships. You see it with Adam and Eve. You see it, obviously, with Cain and Abel. You end up seeing it throughout redemptive history. And the fact is, is that as fallen people, we don't always want deep relationships. There's a reason for that. And our fundamental challenge um, in friendship in this life is that our friendship with God has been broken. And so the fruit of it is actually loneliness. And I'm not going to share all the statistics with you, but to look at the statistics regarding loneliness 
for age groups is actually stunning. Um, loneliest age group in America, 18 to 25. Okay. Largest segment of the loneliest people, men. Okay. And so... True friendship among men, I would say, is rare. And, uh, there, of course, there's different categories and levels of friendship. And so uh, Jonathan Holmes, in an excellent little book on friendship, he actually identifies what he calls uh, friendship imposters or friendship substitutes. And uh, I'm going to give you three of those. He says, first of all, there's social media friendships. So I don't know if you know this, but I have like 3,200 friends. <laughs> so the thing about, uh, <laughs> so the, the, but here's the thing is how many of those people are actually friends? And the answer is only the ones that I'm friends with in reality. All right. So social media friendships are, uh, Holmes says, are safe because they're distant and they actually provide a platform for you to make your life look better. Okay? By the way, that's what social media is basically all about, right? It's to have a bunch of fake friends who all think that your life is better than it really is because of the things you post. And so... Um, for those of you who do counseling, one of the questions that has become increasingly necessary to ask in counseling is, how much time do you spend on social media? Right? Um, Holmes says there's also then the specialized friendship. Specialized friendship is the friendship that is based on either stage of life or, or common interest. Right? So th- there's nothing that's inherently wrong about specialized friendship, but the, the problem is, is that there's, there's something that holds these friends together that is, um, let's just say, um, a surface issue, right? So, and by the way, uh, churches oftentimes will say, um, they'll have such age segregation that they want people of the same age always together. That's a terrible mistake, by the way. The young guys, like all those guys sitting in the back corner over there, need, and the guys sitting here in the middle, lots of young people, and then there's a lot of old people. Okay? I mean, like, super old people. Really? Okay? And here's the thing is we all, we all need each other. So, so friendships that, let's say, let's say, Friendships that are based on the fact that you're a middle-aged, you know, 50-something-year-old man, right? So what, what's the common bond in a, in a friendship that's, that's simply based on your stage of life, right? What might be common interests that serve as a bond for friendship? Your love of football, right? Or your love of uh, the San Francisco Giants, which, by the way, I would say is a deeper bond. But... (laughs) And this is why you know exactly who your enemies are. Okay? Um, (laughs) But, you know, or uh, hunting or fishing... And again, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But here's, here's the issue that Holmes is pointing out, is it's a friendship imposter if the, only, if the only common bond is a common interest. Okay? If it doesn't go beyond that, then if you change teams or you don't like to hunt anymore, the friendship goes away. Right? And then finally, he talks about selfish, the selfish friendship. And this, he says, is this friendship exists to serve me, to build my network, and it is valued for what I get out of it. Now, I don't think anybody here would actually simply be friends with somebody because of what they could get out of it. Okay, well, let's not kid ourselves. Okay, right? 
Maybe you know people that their friendships are all based on trying to network in order to, what, better themselves, get advantage in life, right? And so Holmes says that these are are actually imposters or substitutes. Marshall Siegel, in a really great article on Desiring God, says the absence of good friends slowly starves everything else we do. Let me just read that line again. The absence of good friends slowly starves everything else we do. A husband without good friends will be a worse husband. A mother without good friends will be a worse mother. A pastor, a doctor, a teacher, and an engineer will all be less effective at their callings without the support and camaraderie of friends. So, what are the elements of true or or what we could call biblical friendship? We actually saw three of them in the or two of them, I'll point out a couple others in the David and Jonathan um, uh, narrative. The first is, uh, the first element is that your souls are knit together, okay? Which, which means that the common denominator for the friendship isn't a special interest, but it's what? Okay? It, it's spiritual, when your souls are knit, to, when your soul is knit together with someone, uh, the old timers, Puritans, for instance, used to talk about a bosom friend, right? Somebody that that you were so close to that you could say that my soul is actually knit together with this guy. If something were to happen to him, it would change my life. There's lots of people in our lives that can move away or can die. And you may be sad, but it doesn't change your life. A friend whose soul is knit to yours, they're an inextricable part of your life. The next element would be that it's covenantal. And so, by the way, you see Jonathan and David actually making covenant with each other. So in other words, the the element here is that the friendship is marked by hesed, that is, loyal love. The friendship is held together, in a sense, by, by what we could call covenantal bonds. Loving, um, here's, here's, notice the passages we read three times. It says that Jonathan actually loved David as he loved himself, right? So that's, that's a covenantal friend, right? It is, it is the love that is steadfast, covenant love. Steadfast, a friend loves at all times, right? It's also faithful love. A fr- there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, course we hear that we immediately jump to the Lord Jesus and that is that is that is ultimately true but that's not the only meaning of the text there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother and so true biblical friendship is souls knit together it's covenantal and here's the third thing and if you're still in first Samuel I forgot to read this one 23 1 Samuel 23, in verse 16. So back up to 15. Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan... Saul's son. So, by the way, you do understand that in the in the course of the text, everybody already knows that Jonathan is Saul's son. Why keep saying it over and over and over again? Loyalty to David, even above loyalty to his father, who he understands actually is not God's man. Right. Jonathan 
Saul's son arose and went to David at Horesh, and then notice this, and encouraged him in God. Marginal reading, strengthened his hand in God. And so I would say the third element of true biblical friendship is that it is a friendship that is mutually encouraging of each other in God. So the, the true heart, or in a sense, the true heart-to-heart friendship, if you will, never actually loses sight that God is at the center of the friendship. Right? It's actually God that is not just the center, but God is also the circumference. God is, as it were, the glue and the kind of encouragement that true biblical friendship gives is not just, uh, you know, just a, a pat on the back, the back right? But it's actually that soul-to-soul encouragement in God. By the way, this is is actually the the test of the depth of your friendship. So if the only thing that you ever talk about is hunting or sports or uh, or work, then then that friendship has a, a, a shallow element. Is it actually hard or easy to talk to your friend about your walk with Christ, struggles with sin, right? The true biblical friendship actually gets past the surface stuff and encourages each other in God, And so the true faithful friend is doing what? The true faithful friend is continually pointing his friend to Christ, pointing his friend to the things that ultimately matter, and then fourth and finally, this is probably some kind of summary statement. So in Philippians 2.20, you don't, need to, you don't need to turn there, but um, Paul's talking about Timothy. And I'm going to read uh, just a little snippet from the very lackluster ESV. Paul says in Philippians 2.20, referencing Timothy, The ESV just blandly says, for I have no one like him. All right? That's the way the ESV does it. Very poor. New American Standard, way better. For I have no one else of kindred spirit. Okay. This is Paul talking about Timothy, right? So... You can either go with the blah translation, for I have no one like him, or a little bit more vivid, right? I mean, isn't this more vivid? For I have no one else of kindred spirit, right? And so when Paul says, I have no one else of kindred spirit, that word kindred spirit in the New American Standard is actually an incredibly rare word in Greek, and it means of like soul or of like mind. In a sense, it kind of gets, gets us back to souls knit together. One Greek scholar, Stephen Runge, actually suggests um, soul mate. Okay? Now, let me just say something about this. We live in a time where I would say one of the things that prevents men from having close friendships with other men is they don't want to look like they're gay. Okay? I'm being serious. Okay? And, and yet, Paul could say of Timothy, there's no one else like him. He is my soulmate. That is, that is we share life together in a way that you could call us kindred spirits. And so those, those are just a few of the elements of biblical friendship. And let me just say, brothers, those are the kind of friendships that we have to have. Okay? Those are the kind of friendships that are absolutely necessary. So I know I'm talking to a room full of guys. And I know that guys have, okay, let's face it, women do better at making close friends. Right? Would you not agree? Okay, just generally speaking, all right, women do much better at making close friends. Guys are not so good at it. 
And yet what I want to say is that when you look at when you look at the, the biblical characteristics of true friendship, you start to realize that that kind of friend is absolutely indispensable for your life. Okay. So I'm going to give you two reasons, two benefits of this kind of biblical friendship. We'll do another one next month and then follow up with how to, um, how to maintain good biblical friendship. But two, two things today, benefits of, of biblical friendship. The first is that good biblical friends, friends whose soul is knit together with you, actually keep us from the danger of isolation. Okay. Now, some people think isolation is a virtue. In the Bible, isolation is dangerous. So Proverbs 18.1, He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. Right? That's Proverbs 18.1. He who separates himself, that is, he who isolates himself, seeks his own desire. So what are the reasons for isolation? And maybe, maybe this will speak right to you today. And if it does, I pray the Spirit of God uses it. So the proverb says that we separate ourselves because of our own desire. Okay. Holman Christian Standard Bible, the one who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. So first, there's something that is that is unmistakably self-centered about separating ourselves from others, especially others in the body. Okay? Unbelievably self-centered. So the isolationist, okay, the person that separates himself, and that doesn't mean that he stops coming to church. Okay? What it means is he separates or isolates himself from any close friendships. And so the isolationist actually is a person who oftentimes simply doesn't want any conflict with his own opinions. Let's just let that sink in. Sometimes we isolate ourselves because we don't want any conflict with our own opinions or our own priorities or our own pride. The isolationist wants to be left alone in his own little self-made world where he's governor, unrivaled. The isolationist wants to have his, his own little bubble, in a sense, where no truth is uncomfortable to him, where no person irritates him. Okay. And where it is seemingly trouble-free. The isolationist, the person who separates himself from other people, doesn't want, on the one hand, the demands of a close friendship, and on the other hand, doesn't want the threats of a close friendship. Doesn't want the demands. Is it demanding to actually have a close friend? Of course there are, there are demands. It takes effort, right? Isolationist is not willing to, to, to make those kinds of efforts. And then on the other hand, the isolationist doesn't want the, the, the threats of a close friendship. Well, how in the world could a close friendship be threatening? This isn't rocket science or brain surgery. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to be around somebody that's going to be like getting in my kitchen. Okay? Hey, that's one, right? Guess what? A close friend also, close friendship means that somebody starts to get to know me. 
Is that threatening? Absolutely. Right? I got my persona. This is what I want people to see. I let somebody in close. They start to see that that persona is not exactly me. In fact, they start to see things that I really don't want anybody to see. So it's easy, by the way, for people (laughs) that maybe in the course of a week pour themselves out into the lives of others to feel like they deserve isolation. One of the guys that I've known over the years spent all week helping people. Clock out at the end of the day. Guess what he wanted more than anything else? Leave me alone. So, let me just point out, since we have most of our elders here this morning, and our deacons, are you called to pour your life out into the lives of other people? The answer is yes. Is it easy, after spending and being spent, to want the comfort of isolation. Yes. Um, It's risky. And so the danger of isolation is absolutely real. I don't say this to you to uh, uh, elicit any sympathy from you, but both in 2013 and then 2018, I had two friends Two friends that I would have said I was closer to than anybody else in this world. And both ended up being guilty of living double lives that ended up seeming to make my 20 plus year relationship with each one of them actually seem like a lie. I said to Ariel on both occasions with tremendous self-pity. Friendship is overrated. Okay? That's what I said to her twice. You know what she said to me twice? Exactly the same thing. Don't start thinking like that. It's dangerous. Don't start thinking like that. It's dangerous. And so, is isolation comfortable? The answer is yes. I don't have to worry about getting burned. I don't have to worry about people getting to know me. I don't have to worry about actually getting to know them and have to pour time into them. And so what are the results of isolation? The text actually tells us. So the Proverbs say that the one who's isolated himself, in a sense, becomes a rebel of sorts. So the ESV, which I'll say is okay here, in 18.1, it says, the one who isolates himself, he breaks out against all sound judgment. Okay. Net Bible, I think is a little more descriptive. He rejects sound judgment. So at the end of the day, the guy who isolates himself, all right, is the guy who ends up um, being the rebel, and what, he's, what is he a rebel against? Well, he's a rebel against all sound judgment that might be around him. He's going to reject it. He's going to resist it. And so the, 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 the rebel who's actually driven by pride and self-centeredness begins to manifest that raging against all sound wisdom by thinking that he's the smartest guy in the room and he doesn't need anybody else. In fact, not only does he start to think he's the smartest guy in the room, he starts to conclude that he should be the only guy in the room. Okay? Now, I want to say that all of us are susceptible to thinking that we're the smartest guy in the room. Okay? If you don't believe it, just listen to yourself when you're watching the news. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay? <laughs> and maybe if you were in the White House, you would be the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> All right? But, but here's the thing is that isolation just is simply deadly. Why? Because when I am left to myself, no sound judgment is left. No discernment is left. Why? Because sound judgment and discernment requires the guardrails of other people to hold me in check. And so now once I've established myself as, as the smartest guy in, in the room, what do I need you for? What do I need your opinion for? Right? So... Garrett Kell, who's a pastor, was writing about fallen leaders. He says this, this is very powerful. Sin thrives in isolation. Satan lives in the darkness and longs to keep us there. Lies live best in the darkness. That's why when God calls us to himself, he calls us into the church. So isolation, let's just be clear, is the place of fools. It's the place of denial that we need anybody else in our lives except ourselves. So in that place of isolation, we exalt ourselves, we exalt our own resources, we exalt our own abilities, and we forget that we are rebelling against the very wisdom of God. Now, by the way, that guy that I just described may also be filled with self-pity that he's all by himself. So, don't mistake, well, I really wish I had more friends for not being that guy. Sometimes, when we don't have any friends, it's because we ourselves are such lousy friends that nobody wants to be our friend. What did your mother tell you in kindergarten when you were so afraid to go on that first day and say, I won't have any friends? Your mother told you, if you want a friend, be a friend, right? Too many men are unwilling to take the advice given to kindergartners. A genuine biblical friendship where you have your soul knit together with somebody else actually keeps you from the dangers of isolation. So if all you have is surface friends, you start to isolate yourself, and you tell your surface friend, they go, hey, haven't seen you in a while, and you say, I just want to be left alone. What's a surface friend going to do? Leave you alone. If I say that to somebody that my soul is knit to, okay, they're going to be ruthless. They're not going to let me isolate myself. They're going to pursue me like a bird dog. They are not going to give up. They're not going, they're not going to allow me to isolate myself. Why? Because they love me too much. Okay? That's the kind of friend you need. Second benefit, this will be a little quicker. They keep us from apostasy. By the way, isolation and apostasy are not unrelated. So look over at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. The writer to the Hebrews says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart, that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called the day, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So on the one hand, first benefit of having a bosom friend is that they save you from the dangers of isolation. Here, 
The benefit of having a bosom friend is that they keep you from the danger of apostasy. All right. So and, and the reason that those are related, by the way, is. The people that fall away from the faith. Are people who, for the most part, end up isolating themselves first. You understand that. And you can see why. So here the benefit is I have somebody that is that's committed to us getting to heaven together safely. All right? So first notice verse 12, take care brethren that there not be in any one of you an evil unbelieving heart. So let me just say that all of us should understand very clearly that an evil heart of unbelief is a genuine danger of which none of us are exempt. All right? So Daniel knows this story well. I've mentioned it before. So back in a 2015 or 16, right around there, Paul Tripp came out with a book called Dangerous Callings, or Dangerous Calling, and it was about... Um, the the pitfalls of being in ministry, right? Dangerous calling. There are five endorsers on the back, all well-known pastors. Was it three of the five, right? Yeah, maybe four out of the five. All fell away from the faith and disqualified themselves from ministry. Guys that were endorsing a book called Dangerous Calling apparently didn't think that any of it was relevant to them. All right? That's the danger of actually thinking that somehow we are uh, above the fray, that we are above having an evil heart of unbelief. And so... It actually is not true. All of us are susceptible to it. All of us are susceptible to all kinds of threats that, in a sense, can fill our hearts with unbelief. And then the apostle, or not the apostle, you're really badly influencing me, the writer to the Hebrews... (laughs) This says, an evil heart of unbelief result which falls away from the living God. Right? So the, the picture is this, is, this is defection from the faith. It's departure from God. It's abandoning the only source of life and truth and, and in a sense, choosing death. And so... Whatever you think about the warning passages, here's, here's the bottom line, is you better look at them as real warnings. Okay. So what is the antidote to an evil heart of unbelief which could fall away from the living God? The antidote is this, encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today. Okay. That encourage, very broad word, it could be Comfort, consolation, encouragement, or exhortation. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, I would say that the idea of, uh, of encourage is the idea of exhortation to faith, to good works, and to perseverance. And so, um, my favorite book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer is just a little, little tiny book called Life Together. Okay. It's classic. Bonhoeffer makes the, the point in that book. It's about, it's about life in community. Okay. There's life. Now he was, had a, it was a seminary setting for him, but it's very applicable to the church. Bonhoeffer says at one point that, that he who is alone in his sin is truly alone. He who is alone in his sin is truly alone. So Bonhoeffer says what we need, what we need is we need a brother to be Christ to us. He says, 
It's wonderful to read the words of forgiveness or pardon in Scripture, but it's another thing to actually have a brother speaking those words to us. Okay? So, the danger of apostasy is real, but the antidote is to have somebody that loves you enough to encourage and exhort you. And so this is, this is, in a sense, the kind of friendship that should exist within the community of faith and that actually loves each other enough to talk about hard things, talk about sin. And I don't mean just griping about your wife to somebody, all right? That doesn't take any sort of special level of friendship, just a great deal of carnality on your part. I'm talking about actually talking to somebody about the hard things, about the struggles, about your spiritual need. Having somebody that that loves you enough that's willing to not only listen, but in turn speak truth to you in a way that you both can go to the throne of grace together. Proverbs chapter 27, this has already been referred to, verse 5, better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And so notice, notice the parallel. So better is open rebuke. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Okay. Way better than love that's concealed. Right? In other words, what Solomon is saying is love that, is, that does not manifest itself. All right? And so there is a sense in which the one who loves us the most is the one who's willing to tell us the most truth about ourselves and who's also willing to receive that as well. That's not a one-way street, right? It's not like find a friend who will, who will pick out all your faults and tell you all the time, all right? It's not the point. The point is actually to have the kind of relationship with somebody that you can sit down and um, exhort them or rebuke them. So years ago, we were doing, Eric Gadat was in this class, we were doing young married uh, gatherings. We were watching uh, Paul Tripp, What Did You Expect? And so then we had, we had old timers, people that had been married for a longer time, it's like Vic and Bertie, they got married shortly, well, during Reconstruction. And then <laughs> others that had been married for 25 years or more. And um, the idea was get together, watch the video, have some discussion. And so they were always on Saturdays. And I hate doing stuff on Saturdays, um, except men's breakfast, of course. Um, so... I'm doing my normal Saturday afternoon thing, which was um, drinking a Diet Pepsi and watching Bonanza. (laughs) And Ariel says, hey, we need to start getting ready to go. And I'm like, I got to see if little Joe lives. (laughs) And (laughs) I'd only seen the episode four or five times, but... So time ticks away, and Ariel says, we have to leave in like five minutes. And I get grumpy. I didn't want to go. So we get there, and everybody's all happy. Marital bliss is just like bubbling over. (laughs) And um, I'm kind of grumpy. Why? Why? Because there was another episode of Bonanza after that episode. 
And I just, I wanted to, I wanted to relax. I wanted to stay home. And instead, here I was. And, and I loved everybody that was there. That wasn't the issue. The issue was, I was like sinfully grumpy. So we get out to the car and Ariel says, you were kind of grumpy. And I said, yeah, that's what they get for scheduling on a Saturday or something, you know. (laughs) And a few days later, uh, a man who is just a little bit older than me calls me and he says, hey, can I stop by your office? I'd like to talk to you. I said, sure. And I'm thinking, oh, he wants to stop by and, and, and glean nuggets of golden wisdom that I will drop for him when he asks his question. And so he comes in and he sits down and he says to me these words. This is really hard for me. I love you and I respect you. But you were in sin on Sunday or Saturday. Your attitude was sinful. It was apparent you didn't want to be there. And you sinned against everybody that was there. And immediately, I knew he was absolutely right. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. How easy would it have been for him to just say, well, you know, that's, that's, you know, thankfully Brian's not like that all the time, but you know, sometimes he gets like that, right? Easy to, easy to brush it off, right? Or say, you know what? You know, he's, he's got German blood in him. What do you expect? Sorry. Um, If I'd had Dutch blood, it would have been far more understandable. (laughs) Easy to make excuses. Make excuses for what? For him not to come and talk to me. What would have been the convenient thing for him to do? Not to address me. Not to deal with me. I mean, it could have just been as simple as, you know what, I'll pray for him. But no, he loved me enough to come and to exhort me. Why is that necessary? So that you're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we had a situation a a, a handful of years ago, and and there was somebody that, that should have been rebuked and somebody that should have been corrected, and they ended up almost destroying their marriage and the marriage of somebody else, right? Love people enough, love your brothers enough, love your friends enough to actually say hard things to them when they need it. And if they get angry with you, at least have a good conscience that, that, that before God you did the right thing. And I will tell you this. If you're bosom friends, that anger will pass. And they will begin to see the truthfulness. As a result, you know what I did? I called everybody that was there and asked for their forgiveness. I would not have done that. It wouldn't have even crossed my mind if this man had not come and rebuked me. Okay? So, are we susceptible to an evil heart of unbelief? Yes. Are we susceptible to having our hearts hardened through the deceitfulness of sin? And the answer is yes. And so what we need more than anything in this life is actually somebody that loves us enough to speak the truth to us. And so when we're being deceived by sin, God can use all kinds of things, right? Have you ever been in a state where you were being lulled into the deceit of sin? Ever? Okay, like like three of you. No, that's not true. So all of us, right? All of us, all of us know what that is. 
We all start to justify ourselves. We all start to make excuses. We all start to, we all start to justify our bitterness. We start to justify bad attitudes. We start to justify bad actions, right? And so it's very easy for the heart to start to get uh, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And God can use all different kinds of ways to actually break that. And sometimes very painfully, but what he uses most often will be the words of a bosom friend. You say, well, what about the preaching of the word? Well, sure, but if I'm in a state of being um, uh, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, I can actually, the, the preacher's up there, I'm here, and I can, I can grieve the spirit, harden my heart more, and just say, well, I'm, I sure hope, I sure hope my wife hears this sermon. But you know what you can't do with a bosom friend? You can't shake them. Because there's a commitment of loyal love that's not going to just let you go. Maurice Roberts says, Our best friends are those whose company makes us afraid to sin. And so heart-to-heart friends, biblical friends, love each other, not as righteous, perfect saints, but what we really are, unrighteous sinners in need of mercy and grace. So brothers, we, we need friends. You don't need 20 of these kinds of friends. In fact, you'll never have 20 of these kinds of friends. But one or two? Those who love us enough to tell us the truth. Those that we can share life in Christ with in a deep way. That actually builds my faith because he's pointing me to Jesus all the time. I need that kind of friend. And so do you. So next month what we'll do is we'll look at one more characteristic in terms of Paul and his friends. And then we'll talk about how to maintain good biblical friendships. All right? And so, brothers, I just remind you of the words of Kevin DeYoung. It's the most important but least talked about relationship in the church. Friendship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for for good friends. Thank you for friends that their hearts have been knit together with ours. And Father, we pray for those that, that are here that, that maybe they don't have a friend like that. We pray that you would, in your grace, provide one. And we pray that each of us would be willing to be one. And so we thank you for the grace of friendship, and we pray that we would never minimize it or substitute it. We pray, Father, that we would cherish it seek to develop it. In Christ's name, amen. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.